Chapter 9 Escaped? From where? Carrie realized for the first time that he didn't know where his brother was. How could that be? Had he been living in a dream world for an entire year? I guess we've all been living in a dream world, his father said, echoing Carrie's thoughts. I've tried to protect you. The doctors said I should. Protect me from what? Carrie asked. From Donald? His father didn't answer. He walked to the refrigerator, pulled out a pitcher of orange juice, and poured Carrie a glass. Carrie took the glass from his father's hand and took a long, cold sip. The juice tasted bitter and pulp stuck in his throat. He took another sip to wash it down. Well, Dad, he started, but his father had returned to the living room. Is Donald coming home? Carrie asked. Lieutenant Hart paced back and forth in a narrow room, rubbing his chin, lost in a turmoil of thoughts. Come on, Dad, Carrie demanded, trying to get through to his father. You've got to tell me now. You really don't have a choice, do you? The doctors. They all thought you'd remember by now, his father said, avoiding his eyes. It would have been easier, I suppose. He turned to face his son. Do you remember anything at all? Carrie closed his eyes. No, not much. What do you mean, not much? Lieutenant Hart demanded. Does that mean you remember something? Headlights, Carrie said. I see headlights. That's all, Dad. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, too, his father said quietly. I'm just a cop. Well, then you're used to delivering bad news, Carrie said, a flash of anger revealed in his voice. Was it anger or just impatience to know what no one would talk to him about for so many months? Hey, you got no cause to snap at me, fella, Lieutenant Hart said. I've only tried to do what's right. It hasn't been easy, especially with your mother gone. But I don't complain. When you're a cop, you get to see that there are two sides to life, like two sides to a coin. There's the bright side, and there's the dark side. Carrie sat down on the couch. He realized his father must really be upset. He'd never heard him launch into such philosophy before. His father babbled on about the light side and the dark side, and how one side can overwhelm the other side, and how Carrie had retreated into one side when the other side got to be too much. Carrie didn't really hear all the words. His mind was spinning. His father's voice floated nearby, then drifted away as Carrie's own thoughts broke into his consciousness. He thought about how much he had missed Donald, how much he had relied on his older brother, how much his brother's encouragement had meant to him, and how badly he had felt when Donald had become displeased or had criticized him. Donald had been the most important person in his life. How could he not know where Donald was? How could he not care? At least that's what the doctors think, his father said. But now, of course, all that has changed. He stared at Carrie from across the room. The gray morning light filtered through the window, casting more shadows than light. What? Carrie struggled to hear his father. There was a fluttering in his ears, like the flapping of bird wings. Listen, Carrie. With Donald escaped, I got no choice. I've got to tell you a little. It isn't going to be easy for you, but... Lieutenant Hart started to sit down on the couch next to Carrie, but the phone rang. Carrie jumped up, but his father got to the phone first. Hello? His eyes opened wide, then returned to narrow slits. He stood holding the receiver in silence for a few seconds, then replaced it angrily. Who was it? Carrie asked. Some girl, probably a friend of yours, Lieutenant Hart said, easing himself back down onto the couch. She started to say something, but when she realized it was me, she hung up. He groaned. His back must have been giving him pain. Probably Sharon, calling to give him a cheerful morning death threat, Carrie thought. Look, Dad, Carrie said impatiently. Whatever you've got to tell me, just tell me. You're only making it worse by dragging it out like this. Making it worse? Lieutenant Hart's face twisted into an ironic smile. Oh boy. He seemed to drift away again. Even though he was sitting next to Carrie on a low couch, he was miles away.
The fluttering left Carrie's ears. Now the silence seemed crushingly loud. Say something, Dad. Say something. There was a car accident, Lieutenant Hart said flatly, staring at his shiny black police shoes. I knew it, Carrie cried. The headlights. His father got up and walked over to the window. Come on, fella. Don't interrupt. Let me just tell it. Make it a little bit easy for me, okay? Sorry, Carrie said. He was as surprised by his outburst as his father. Why had he done that? He hadn't known it. He had no memory of a car accident. Why was he so quick to say that he had? It was a little over a year ago. In July, we were all on vacation. There was no school. His father was staring out the window as he spoke. The gray morning light washed over him, turning him gray, spreading gloom instead of warmth. It was late at night. There were three of you in the front seat of our car. Do you remember the car? Carrie thought hard. No. I'm not going to give you details, Carrie. I'm only going to tell you enough. Enough so you can deal with Donald's escape. Okay, okay, Carrie said, unable to hide his impatience, even though he could see his father was struggling with every word. Silence. A car rumbled by, tires spinning over pebbles in the road as it climbed the steep hill. It was late at night. Did I say that? Oh well, doesn't really matter. There was an accident, a collision down by the foot of the hills, on Edge Creek by the turn. Donald's girlfriend was sitting in the middle between you and Donald. It was a bad crash. Her head hit the mirror. Then there was a second jolt, and... Kerry waited. His father took a deep breath. He was a policeman, but he never got used to death. The girl was killed, he said quickly. And Donald? Kerry asked, his voice gurgling up weakly from deep in his throat, his hands ice cold. Donald couldn't accept it. He cracked. But he was alive, Kerry demanded. Yeah. Untouched, practically, Lieutenant Hart replied, seemingly surprised by the question. So were you, just a few cuts. That scar over your eyebrow. Carrie's hand went up to the scar. It was still a little tender. He'd never paid any attention to it, except when his comb slipped or he accidentally scratched it. But Donald couldn't accept that his girlfriend was dead. He cracked. He just snapped. We had no choice. We had to send him away, to a hospital. You know, a place for mental patients. That's where his brother was? In a mental hospital? You, uh, don't remember any of this? His father asked cautiously. No, Carrie muttered. No. Headlights. Just headlights. Nothing. Well, I've told you most of it. Enough, I guess, Lieutenant Hart said, leaning on the windowsill, staring out into the gray morning. Donald's been in the hospital ever since. I tried to see him, but the docs don't want me to. They thought he'd snap out of it better if he didn't see any of us for a while. They're probably right. I got weekly reports from them, though. I kept tabs on him. I didn't desert him up there. And is he better? Carrie asked, his voice nearly a whisper. That's what the docs told me. They said he was getting better every day. Might even be home by Christmas. Then, first thing this morning, I get a call. Donald's run away. Flew the coop. He shook his head sadly. Maybe he just decided he had enough. Maybe he's fine now, Carrie said. Maybe there's a Santa Claus and he really lives at the North Pole. You know that's not the way it works, Lieutenant Hart said bitterly. Maybe he's heading home, Carrie said, ignoring his father's words, caught up in his own swirling thoughts, struggling to keep from being buried under the weight of the horrifying story he had just been told. We'll get to see him, to talk to him. That'll be great, won't it? I don't know, his father said. I don't know. He glanced at his watch. Then he turned from the window and walked over to Carrie. Are you okay? I guess so. I still don't remember. It'll come back and you'll be able to face it then. You're stronger than you think. What an odd thing for his father to say. You're stronger than you think. Carrie had never thought of himself as strong or weak.
I just want you to be careful, his father said, pulling on his tie and fumbling to get it into a knot. His hands were shaking too badly. He gave up after three tries and tossed the tie to the floor. I gotta go. You know how to reach me if anything happens. Yeah, sure. Do you think Donald will be here by? The hospital is two days away by car, Lieutenant Hart said at the door. It's upstate, near the border, so don't plan on having lunch with your brother. I'm not too sure he'd head here anyway. He may, he may not. I thought I had to warn you. Warn him? Did Carrie really have to be warned that his brother might show up? Is he dangerous, Dad? Carrie could hardly get the words out. Get to school, his father said, trying to sound more cheerful. We'll get through this, okay? We hearts always manage to muddle through somehow. His father couldn't bring himself to answer the question. Hey, where's Sean? Carrie suddenly realized his brother was missing. He's at his friend Larry's. I already talked to him this morning before he woke up, Lieutenant Hart said. Lieutenant Hart pushed open the screen door and stepped out onto the gravel driveway. Carrie heard the crunch of his shoes on the stones as he trudged toward his patrol car. He ran to the door. Hey, Dad! Lieutenant Hart stopped at the door to the car and turned around. What? Dad, uh, one more question. Shoot. He fumbled in his pants pocket for the keys. The girl who died, Donald's girlfriend. Was her name? Amanda, his father said. He opened the door and climbed wearily into the patrol car. Chapter 10 Carrie turns the Mustang into the parking lot and slowly cruised down the row, looking for a place to squeeze in. The lot was nearly filled, even though it was only 8 o'clock, and he was forced to park in a little lot near the back of the stadium. He locked the car and walked quickly toward the gym, his sport jacket flapping in the strong October breeze, his tie squeezing his throat. Did anyone actually feel comfortable when they dressed up? What's the matter, Hart? Couldn't get a date? Someone yelled. He couldn't see who was calling to him, so he just kept walking. He saw Mandy waiting for him by the sidewalk at the edge of the parking lot. Hi, he called, waving, but she didn't seem to hear him. He started to run, his new shoes slipping on the asphalt. She was wearing a long, purple dress, glittery and very slinky. She held a white wrap, some kind of shawl around her shoulders. Her blonde hair sparkled under the glow of the parking lot lamps. She spotted him, gave him a quick wave, and started to run toward him. Her shoes clicked on the ground as she ran. Other couples heading into the gym turned to stare at her. She was a little overdressed for a simple dance in the gym. Mandy, he said. Hi. She fell into his arms. Sorry. She pulled herself upright. I tripped. I didn't mind, he said, trying to sound suave. She gave him a quick kiss on the cheek. Her lips felt hot and soft. She smiled at him, bright purple lips on her pale face. They started toward the gym door. He could still feel the touch of her lips on his cheek. He wondered if she had left lipstick prints there. Well, you found the school. Amazing, she said, taking his arm, pulling herself close to him, so close he could feel the warmth of her body. Was I late? I mean, am I late? She was making him nervous. He decided he didn't mind. It's never too late, she whispered, putting her lips against his ear, sending chills down his body. He opened the gym door and handed the tickets to Miss McCurdy, who was seated at a card table just inside. Two, she asked. She tore the tickets in half and motioned them to go in. She didn't expect an answer. Golly gee, a real school dance, Mandy said sarcastically. But then her expression softened and she looked to Carrie like a little girl. It's been so long, she said softly. The theme of the dance was fall, and the gym was decorated appropriately with large construction paper leaves of orange and brown toppling down the walls, paper pumpkins and apples floating from the ceiling, orange and black Halloween balloons, 
and a mural showing a football player in a panther uniform kicking a giant football on which it appeared the words, Kill em, Panthers! This reminder made Kerry stop short, and he quickly looked around the crowded gym to see if any of his former teammates were in attendance. He couldn't really see. The lights had been turned low. Orange and blue spotlights streaked the room with darting dim light. The dancers and hangers-on were gray and black shadows in the swirling spotlights. Do you like my dress? He remembered Mandy, turned to look at her. She pulled back the white wrap that covered her dress, showing how low-cut her purple gown was. Wow! Why, Carrie, you're easily impressed, she said, laughing at his wide-eyed expression. No, I just, I mean... I better put this back on, Mandy said in a teasing voice, and wrapped the white shawl tightly around herself again. I wouldn't want you to go berserk or anything, she said, at least and not until later. It's a very pretty dress, Carrie managed to say. She was stacked, but somehow it was all wrong. That body on that innocent face, that dress, it didn't really seem to fit her at all. It was almost as if she was wearing someone else's dress, someone else's body. I'm glad you like it, she said coyly. Someone bumped Kerry, hard, from behind. His heart leaped. He hadn't thought. Of course the football players would be here tonight. Of course he would be easy prey for those goons. Again. He spun around, ready to fight. Hey, how's it going? Josh. Hi, this is Mandy. Mandy, Josh. I'm Josh, Josh said, staring at Mandy's dress. You must be Josh, Mandy said. I must be, if Kerry says so, Josh said. Are all your friends this boring? Mandy asked Kerry. No, only Josh, Carrie said. Hey, man, thanks a lot, Josh said. You want to know boring, Mandy. You just hang around with this guy. I wish things were a little more boring, Carrie said suddenly, thinking he saw O'Brien and Malik walking toward him across the dance floor. What? Mandy asked, surprised. Nothing, Carrie said. It was two other guys. Got to cool it, he told himself. They already beat the crap out of me. They're not going to want seconds right here on the dance floor tonight. Mandy took his hand in her cold little hand and squeezed it hard. She must have sensed that he was troubled about something. Where's your date? she asked Josh. See, over by the wall. She's the one on her knees over there, Josh said, pointing. I'd turn the prayer too if I had to go out with you, Carrie said. No, she lost a contact, Josh said. Not much chance of finding it in this light, but she doesn't have a replacement. Hey, your face looks better, he added, staring at Carrie as if he were some sort of lab specimen. Better than what? Mandy asked, and then laughed. I seem to be outnumbered here, Carrie said. Why don't we dance? Mandy suggested, pulling him away. Were her hands always this freezing cold, or was she just really nervous around Carrie? See you later, Josh said. And then you're supposed to say, not if I see you first. She pulled Carrie into the middle of the crowded floor, squeezing between dancers moving through the flickering dim lights, and began moving slowly to the music, still holding his hands tightly in hers swaying softly, moving slowly even though the music was fast. Some sort of salsa record with an insistent repeating disco-type drum riff. Your face is better, she called to him over the music. It's the dark lights, he said, trying to follow her but finding it difficult since she wasn't keeping to the music. You have a nice face, she said. Someone bumped the tone arm of the record player. It scratched through the salsa record. There was a short, silent pause. Then a ballad with slow, sexy rhythm started up. She began to push Carrie back as they danced, back toward the wall containing the football player mural. Her eyes were closed, her dark lips spread in a wide smile, her face tilted up at his. Back she guided him, back. They began to dance well together, began to move together, back, back to the wall. 
When they reached the wall, twisting shadows of dancing couples darting and flickering on the crudely painted mural, she pushed him gently until his back was against the mural. Then she put her hands on the back of his neck, pulled his head down, and raised purple lips up to meet his. He was so surprised he gasped. Her lips were hot and soft, and she pushed them against his harder and harder. At first, he tried to return the kiss, but as she pressed harder, her teeth hungrily pushed against his lips. He tried to back away, to end the kiss, to catch his breath, but she held him in a firm grip, her cold hands tight on the back of his neck. Her kiss, as she pushed against him, became painful. It wasn't a kiss. It was an attack. Her teeth dug harder against his. Her tongue pushed against his. Finally, she sighed and retreated. He took a deep breath. Before he could say anything, she pulled his head down to her mouth again. She whispered into his ear, her breath hot, her lips brushing his ear as she spoke. Sorry, Carrie. Sometimes I'm a little impulsive. She backed away and let go of his head. Her mouth formed a shy smile. She looked embarrassed. She whispered, It was nice. Turned and ran onto the dance floor, disappearing in the swaying shadows of dancers. Carrie started after her, but stopped. He leaned back against the wall. He put a hand to his throbbing lips. His lips were bleeding. He looked for her, bumping into dancers who gave him annoyed looks, tripping over feet, searching the shadows formed by the revolving lights. Had she left the gym? Was she coming back? Hey man, she's a fox, Josh called to him. Jesse, his date, hadn't found her contact. She was dancing with one eye squinted. She pointed at Carrie in greeting. You notice, Carrie called, trying to sound nonchalant, hoping that Josh wouldn't ask where Mandy was. Where's Mandy anyway, Josh called. He was a terrible dancer. He looked like a duck when he danced, wobbling from side to side. Girl's room, Carrie answered, searching the crowd. Later, Josh said. He waddled off, Jesse squinting after him. Carrie made his way to the gym door. Miss McCurdy was still sitting at the admissions table, guarding the door. She frowned when she saw Carrie approaching. She doesn't like me, he thought. Then he thought. She doesn't really like anybody. Did my day go out this way? He asked her. She frowned again. The one in the purple dress? Yeah. No, I haven't seen her. Maybe we should set up a booth for lost dates. <laughs> Thanks. She was still laughing as Carrie disappeared back into the crowd. His lips still throbbed. He could still feel the hot touch of her lips against his ear as she whispered, her cold little hands on the back of his neck. Sometimes I'm a little impulsive. He wanted to go off in a corner and think about her. Why did she kiss him like that? Was it just a sudden impulse? Did she really like him? Or was she playing some sort of game with him? She was so quick-witted, so sophisticated, so together. But she was terribly overdressed, embarrassingly overdressed, and she didn't seem to be aware of it at all. And she was always clinging to him, always pulling him, always touching him. Was that because she was nervous? Or was she trying to make him nervous? It occurred to Carrie that maybe she was trying to be mysterious. If so, he thought, she sure was succeeding. He walked past a long refreshment table, with its big glass jugs of apple cider, pumpkin breads, raisin cookies, and other not terribly tempting items, most of which had been baked in home ec classes. No sign of her. Was she playing hide-and-seek with him? Was she embarrassed about the impulsive kiss? Then his eye caught someone slipping out of the gym through the door that led into the classroom corridor. Was that Mandy? He quickly made his way back through the crowded dance floor. He pushed open the double doors and stepped into the dark corridor. He heard footsteps not far away. Mandy? No reply. He looked down the dark row of lockers. Only a small light at the far end of the corridor had been turned on. 
They obviously didn't want kids leaving the gym and wandering around in the school. He heard footsteps in the direction of the light. Mandy, is that you? He tried again. Still, no reply. He began walking quickly toward the light. The empty corridor seemed eerie, even though it was so familiar. Without lights, without kids clattering their lockers, talking and shouting, it seems like a tunnel, a tunnel of weird shadows and misplaced echoes. His footsteps sounded thunderous, clicking against the floor, echoing off the metal lockers. Mandy? His voice was a loud whisper. At the light, he stopped. He heard voices to the right. It was too dark to see who it was, so he started toward the voices. Mandy? Hey, hard. Two figures emerged in the dark corridor, Malik and O'Brien. Hey, Hart, wait up! They began running toward him. He turned and ran the other way. If only he had stayed in the gym. They wouldn't have tried any rough stuff surrounded by hundreds of dancers and the teachers. But now he was easy prey, alone in the dark, empty hallway, no one around. Hart, stop! He ran as fast as he could, but they were narrowing the gap. Weren't these guys ever apart, he thought. Had they come to the dance together? Despite his fear, he smiled as he ran. He pictured them dancing together, a slow dance, cheek to cheek. Give it up, Hart. If he kept running straight, they'd catch up to him in a few seconds. He saw the double cafeteria doors up ahead to the left. If he could get into the dark cafeteria, he could hide under a table or in the kitchen. He'd stand a tiny chance of getting away from them. His heart pounding, he stopped at the double doors, turned quickly to see that his pursuers were less than a hundred yards behind him and heaved his shoulder into the cafeteria doors. They were locked. No, he cried aloud. Heart, heart, you moron. He lunged for the stairway across from the cafeteria, practically flung himself down the tile steps, stumbling, his new shoes slipping, groping down the rail. He landed hard on his feet in the basement, which was darker than the other hallway. Gasping for breath, he ran. The maintenance room was straight ahead. He could duck inside. There'd be plenty of places to hide. If the door wasn't locked, he heard their footsteps on the stairs. They were right behind him. A dim light shone through the small, round window in the door to the maintenance room. He pushed at the door. Locked. He could feel the dread tightening his stomach, tightening his neck muscles. He pressed himself flat against the narrow recess in front of the door. Maybe Malik and O'Brien would run right past him, and he could get back upstairs to the safety of the crowded gym. He tried to hold his breath. He tried to think invisible thoughts. Hard. You chicken. Hey, Malik. Here he is, O'Brien called. Now, wait a minute, Carrie started, raising his fists. Malik, over here, O'Brien called, looming over Carrie in the dark. Malik came lumbering over. They stood side by side, smiling at Carrie as they closed in on him. Chapter 11 O'Brien pressed a big fist against Carrie's chest, pinning him to the door. Carrie looked into their smiling faces, reflected in a dim light. This can't be happening to me, he told himself. I'm not going to get creamed again by these goons. Hey, Hart. Cool it, O'Brien said, shaking his head. Yeah, cool it, Malik repeated. We owe you an apology, O'Brien said. What? Carrie's voice was a squeak. You heard me, O'Brien said, loosening his grip on Carrie's chest, his beefy face floating ominously in a dim yellow light. It was all a misunderstanding, Malik said. We saw Sal today, at the hospital. He set us straight. Carrie was still breathing too hard to talk. What were they saying? The words weren't making sense to him. How's Sal? He finally managed to say. He's doing better, O'Brien said. It ain't been a picnic, but he'll be okay. Good, Carrie uttered, trying to stop the two faces from floating in front of him. 
That's good. Sal said the whole thing was an accident, Malik said. He said you fell on him because you just couldn't stop. He don't blame you, O'Brien added. He saw the whole thing. He saw you didn't do it on purpose. Well, of course not, Carrie said, brightening. But then he had a shudder of horror. Was this another one of his daydreams? Was he imagining this whole scene? Would he blink, open his eyes in a second, and find them ready to pound the life out of him again, leaving him in a pile of pulp for the janitor to clean up on Monday morning? Carrie blinked. He opened his eyes. Anyway, Malik said, no hard feelings. He stuck out a meaty hand for Carrie to shake. Carrie shook his hand. Then he shook O'Brien's hand. No hard feelings, O'Brien said. Hey, you're still a little puke, Malik said, tapping Carrie hard on a knot of his tie. But we wanted to set the record straight. They turned and walked off into the darkness. Carrie waited, listening to them climb the stairs. What a dork, he heard O'Brien say. He heard them both laugh. Their laughter and the footsteps grew fainter, then faded to silence. Carrie stood in the dark doorway for a few more minutes, getting himself together. He began to feel pretty good. He realized that word would get around about what Sal had said, about how it was all an accident. Maybe people would start talking to him again, start treating him as if he didn't have bubonic plague, and the pranks would stop, and no more late-night threatening phone calls. Okay, he called out to no one. He walked to the stairway and began climbing the stairs two at a time. He could hear the music from the gym, pounding drums, loud saxophones, Mandy. He had almost forgotten about her. He had to find her. He wanted to tell her what had happened, how good he felt. He wanted to dance. He wanted to shout. Maybe they could leave the dance and go be impulsive somewhere together. He pushed open the door to the gym and was assaulted by a wave of heat and noise, by twirling purple lights, weaving and swaying dancers, a roar of talk and laughter. Hey, Mandy! There she was, standing by herself at the end of the refreshment table, a cup of cider in her hand. Mandy, where'd you go? Never mind that. Where do you go? I've been looking all over for you. She took his arm. Her hands felt warm for the first time. Once, Miss Cider? It's pretty good if you like cider. I thought maybe you had run away. You wouldn't run away, would you, Carrie? You like me, don't you? She was talking a mile a minute. Why was she so worked up? He was the one who was excited. Two of the Panthers just apologized to me, he said, putting his arm around her waist. She pulled away, out of his grasp. What? Sal told them it was all a mistake, so they apologized. I'm not the school villain anymore. That's nice, she said, looking at him as if he were speaking another language. I never thought you were a villain, she said, returning to her kittenish voice and resting her head on his shoulder for just a second. He was suddenly very thirsty. He poured a cup of cider, then another. It was sweet and cold. He smiled at Mandy, who returned his smile with a devilish grin of her own a wisp of blonde hair floating gently down her pale forehead. Let's dance, she said, pulling him with both hands. I don't want you to run away again, do you hear? Carrie smiled and followed her onto the crowded floor. It seemed to him that she had it all backward. It was she who had run away, but he didn't feel like arguing with her. The music was slow and soft, an old carpenter's record they always played at dances. We've only just begun, and she felt warm and small pressed against him warm, small, and exciting. They danced a lot without talking much. The evening passed quickly. They were playing the last dance, a Donna Summer record, and then the bright gym lights were turned on, and the dance was over. Mandy put her arm through his waist as they made their way through the exit to the parking lot. Josh gave Carrie a thumbs-up sign from across the gym. Carrie wanted to talk to Josh, to tell him about his apologies from O'Brien and Malik. 
Josh would be as surprised as Carrie, but he couldn't get over to Josh, and he lost him in a crowd of kids pushing their way through the single, narrow exit. The cold air hit their faces as they stepped outside. It was cold enough for a frost. Carrie hoped the Mustang would start. It was even more finicky in cold weather. Mandy grinned up at him. What's so funny? he asked, pulling her close. Nothing. Just thinking, she said coyly. Thinking? That can be dangerous, he said. Where's the car? she asked. Oh, I had to park it in front of my house. I couldn't find a place down here. It's a short walk. Five or six miles uphill. You don't mind, do you? She laughed and shook her head. You're funny, she said quietly and gave his hand a hard squeeze. I'm sorry you didn't get to talk to Josh more, he said. He's very funny. He's the funniest guy I know. How long have you been friends, she asked, her breath smoking in the cold air. She pulled the white shawl around her shoulders. It really wasn't warm enough for the cold night. I'll find a way to keep her warm, Carrie thought. It's funny, he thought. He was walking along with her, talking about Josh, but he was thinking about sex. He decided that wasn't strange at all. That's what he always did when he was with a girl. He talked about some subject or another and thought about sex. He wondered if Mandy was doing the same thing. He hoped she was. We've walked six miles. Where's the car? She asked. It's right here, he said. He stopped. His mouth dropped open. Oh, no. He shook his head. No. No, no. This can't be happening. The tires on the Mustang were slashed to ribbons. All four of them. Pieces of rubber lay strewn across the aisle of the parking lot. Someone had slashed the tires and slashed and slashed at them until pieces had been torn clear off. Mandy stared at the car, which looked so weird resting at such a low angle. Then she screamed and buried her head in Carrie's shoulder. Oh my God, Carrie, she said, her voice shaking. This is getting scary. <laughs>